the movie Collateral, it's a kind of old movie, but it stars Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. Some of you may remember this. Tom Cruise in this movie is a hitman, and the way he takes people out is he basically forces Jamie Foxx, uh, who's a cab driver, to drive him around Los Angeles while he takes out the people on his hit list. And at one point in the movie, Tom Cruise is explaining to Jamie Foxx why it is he does what he does. And this is what he says. This is his rationale. You and I are just insignificant specks in the universe. It doesn't really matter if five people die tonight or not. Somebody died on the subway and it was five days before anybody noticed. One million people died in Rwanda and you probably didn't shed a tear What does it matter if I kill a few people tonight? Now, Cruz has adopted this view of the world where either God doesn't exist or if he does exist, he's irrelevant to everything. And so Cruz has taken that, his character has taken that to its logical conclusion. Human life is of no real value. It's not more important than anything else. So what does it matter if I kill a few people tonight and make some money doing it? What does it matter if I set up my own kingdom or I make the rules that I play by? What difference does it make? Jamie Foxx knows there's something wrong with this, but he doesn't really have uh, God in his worldview either. He's a taxi cab driver who's stuck being a taxi cab driver. And his only way of escape is every once in a while he's got a a picture of the Bahamas taped on the back of his visor in his car and he'll pull over and he'll pull that down and he'll daydream about the life he keeps telling everybody he's going to have. I'm just doing this temporarily. I'm saving money to start a limousine service, but he's not really going anywhere except for in his dreams. Cruz has his kingdom... Jamie Foxx is dreaming about, he's daydreaming about the kingdom that he wants. One day he's going to get there. Now, hopefully, none of you uh, have secretly hired a taxi cab driver and are driving around Spartanburg taking people out. I was thinking about who would be most likely to be doing this. Probably Jim O'Donnell, yes. Uh, Probably Jim O'Donnell. Uh, Hopefully you're not doing this. But, but we can pretty easily, in, in more docile ways, get caught up in trying to establish our own kingdom, can't we? Uh, we're consumed with, with building our kingdoms and sustaining our kingdoms, with dreaming about what our kingdoms could be. I, I get caught up in my own hobbies and my own desires and my own wants and my own life and my own busyness and making sure I have crafted for myself this perfect life. And then I, I come to church and I say, oh, oh yes, it's, it's all about God. And then I go back and slowly through the week I slip back into it being all about me once, once again. The first part of the Lord's Prayer has this way of reorienting us, if, if that's the way we're thinking. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, your name, not my name. Thy kingdom come, not, not mine. Thy will be done, not mine. So, so today we're going to look at this phrase, thy kingdom come, your kingdom come. And we're going to ask, what, what really is the kingdom? And what does it mean to, to pray this way? And why don't I pray this way? And why should I pray this way? 
So first of all, what's the kingdom of God? Right? What is the kingdom of God? If, if I say to you, the United Kingdom, you think of countries under the rule of kind of a figurehead monarch. If I say to you, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, you think of a place that's under the rule of an of a actual monarch with real power. If I say to you, King James, uh, you either think of LeBron James or you think of the, the King James translation of the Bible. But, but that flows from a king who had actual authority. What's the kingdom of God? What's the kingdom of God? What kingdom does God rule? The scriptures tell us that God rules everything. That, that all the earth is here, that is His. That the, that the whole universe is under God's rule and under God's authority. And in heaven that's readily apparent. Because in heaven all the creatures there acknowledge His rule. There's no doubt about who's in charge. There's not any rebellion. There's not any sin. But now on earth, there is rebellion. There are insurgents. Uh, every day we, we live amongst insurgents. People who have rebelled against and are rebelling against the king. I mean, you, you ever think about that? Pe- people are not just neutral. They are e- they've either sided with God or they have sided against God. And we have to battle that, even as believers, we have to battle that rebelliousness in our heart. We pray, hallowed be thy name, but then we have a hard time actually hallowing God's name. The people around us don't hallow God's name. And when that's the case, you've either wittingly or unwillingly aligned yourself with the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of darkness. And this rebellion against God is what has brought us into death and disease and decay. In the Gospels, we just went through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus comes into the middle of all this. He comes into the middle of this this world of death and decay and disease that's aligned itself against His Father and He announces the coming of the kingdom. John the Baptist, in announcing Jesus in Matthew 3, says, Repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is near. And then Jesus comes and He says the same thing. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. And as he teaches and as he preaches and as he heals people and as he casts out demons, the kingdom of God, as it were, breaks into the middle of the rebellion. As Jesus dies and as he rises again from the dead, he's breaking the back of the kingdom of darkness and beginning to usher in the kingdom of his father. And now down through the ages, the effects of that victory are seen whenever men and women come to Christ and and surrender and repent and bow to the King. When we receive Christ and bow to Him and then go out and try to live out kingdom values wherever, wherever God has placed us, God's kingdom is coming. God's kingdom is advancing. And so the, the kingdom has come in one sense, but the kingdom is also not yet in another sense. It's an already kingdom but it's a not yet kingdom. Because some bow to the king, right? But, but everybody doesn't. And even in the hearts of the servants of the king, we don't always obey him as we should. There's a lot of corruption in us. Uh, we find ourselves wanting to build our own kingdoms. But Scripture is, is, tells us that a day is coming when all that changes. 
when Jesus returns and makes all things new. Uh, Revelation excuse me, 11 says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. Think of an expecting mother. In one sense, she's already a mother, right? In another sense, she doesn't get to fully experience motherhood until that child is born. There's an already not yetness. I'm already a mother, but I haven't fully experienced motherhood yet. There's an already not yetness to the kingdom. We experience the kingdom, but we don't fully experience what it's going to be like yet. But that day of childbirth is coming. The day when the kingdom will come on earth as it is now in heaven. That day when every knee bows to Jesus. So before we talk about what it means to to pray for this, I would just kind of throw out for you to, to think about where am I in relationship to this king? Am I an insurgent? Am I still trying to rebel against his authority? Or have I bowed my knee to the king? Have I received his offer of forgiveness that he extends to me in Christ? Where am I in, with regard uh, to the king? So, that, so that's the kingdom. But now let's ask, what does it mean to pray, thy kingdom come? Right, there, there, there's so much, you know, the Lord's Prayer, when we just recite it, there's so many of these phrases that they just begin to feel like kind of throwaway phrases. Thy kingdom come. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What does it really mean to pray, thy kingdom come? Another way to think about the already not yetness of the kingdom uh, is to think about a couple on their wedding day. They're minutes away from getting married. They, they, you know, they've already made the vows in their head. They're committed to one another. In a sense, it feels like they're already married, but they're not there yet. They're not there yet. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're praying, can you, can you speed up this wedding? Like, I'm, I'm really ready to be married. I'm, I'm tired of being in this almost state. Or to go back to our previous illustration, can we speed up this pregnancy? I, I, I'm really tired of being an almost mother, as it were. I'm ready to experience this fully. But now we pray, I know I'm a part of the kingdom and I see the effects of the kingdom, but, but this is really hard at times and I'm tired of the weight and I want to experience the reality of the fullness of God's kingdom. So that's a, that's a big picture way of thinking about what we pray when we pray this, but let me try to be a little more specific. When you pray, when you not pray, your kingdom come, you're praying that Satan's kingdom that Satan's hold on other people would be destroyed. Um, If Tom Cruise's character in Collateral is right, if there's no God, if God is irrelevant, then there's there's nothing that's wrong. There's, There's no such thing as absolute wrong, or absolute moral wrong, or absolute moral evil. There are things that are unpleasant, but there's no such thing as things that are actually evil but you know that evil exists you see evil in the world and you long for that evil to be done away with whether you're a christian or not and when christians pray your kingdom come 
We're praying that that evil in the world would be done away with. We're praying your kingdom come. Come come in and rid the world of the plague of evil and death and disease and destruction. We're actually praying for what you long for, whether you're a believer or not. So why why don't you join us in in seeking that and seeking the coming of the kingdom we're praying that the evil one would be banished forever and that he would no longer hold sway over any place over any person that that, that he would be wiped out that he would be down the drain and done away with forever but we're also praying as we pray that satan kingdom would be destroyed we're praying that god's kingdom would be advanced and that means we're praying for conversions to Christianity. We're, we're praying that people would know Jesus. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not praying for the advancement of Allah's kingdom or Vishnu's kingdom. We're not praying for the advancement of the kingdom of the American God of just live a general moral life as you like to define it as long as you don't hurt anybody else. We're not praying for the advancement of that kingdom. There are no other gods. There are no other kings. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're praying that the blinders would come off and that people would bow to the one true God, to the one true king. This You may have prayed this a million times. You probably have. This is not a politically correct prayer. We're praying that God's kingdom would come and be established. This is a missionary prayer. This is a, a prayer for people to be converted from other religions and converted to Christianity. And so you and I ought to be praying for our friends and our family members and our classmates and our professors, people in Australia and Brazil and, and, and all over the world, that they, would, that they would bow to King Jesus and that Jesus would reign in their hearts and in their lives and, and let me be so bold as to say this. If you're not praying in that way, then I, I would say there's a pretty good chance you don't, you don't get this. Like, that you don't understand what all of this is, is all about. And what you probably have is not Christianity, but simply nice southern moral respectableism, if I can make that a word. Um, like, it's just, a, it's just a soft, what's that word? Therapeutic deism. Um, it, it's just a soft religion to get you through the day. That, that to be involved, to really know Christ, you, you've actually entered into a holy war. And, and before I freak you out with that phrase, this is not a battle that we enter in with, with guns or fists or anything like this. But it is, in a sense, a very real battle against Islam, um, any other religion, liberal Christianity that doesn't acknowledge Christ. Atheism, uh, uh, American general, be good religion. But it's not a battle for political power, which I think we get confused about a lot. It's not a battle for political power. It's not a battle to try to force other groups to do what we think they ought to be doing. It's a battle for hearts and for minds and for souls. And it's a battle that we wage by loving the people that we disagree with. By serving the people that we disagree with. By doing crazy sacrificial things. And they're like, why in the world would you do that for me? By simply proclaiming the gospel. 
by giving away our lives, by letting go of our kingdoms, and by praying. And so we're, we're praying that people everywhere would know Jesus. But we're also praying about all that junk that's still in my heart and that's still in your heart. That, that God would more and more actually establish His rule in my heart. Uh, that we would become more obedient to Christ. Because, let's face it, we do still struggle with remaining sin. We struggle to do the right thing. We say things, we like, man, I shouldn't have said that. We think things that we know aren't pleasing to God. We engage in things and activities that we thought we had put very far behind us. And so we have to pray for and with one another that God's kingdom would be advanced, not just out there, but, but in here, in my heart, that my heart would continue to become more submissive to the king. And I think part of this that we neglect sometimes, because I think we, we, we think of this advancement of the kingdom purely in terms of conversions, and that is a big part of it. But we're also praying that God would help uh, each of us to see how he can use us in the places he has us to advance the kingdom. God, how can you use me as a professor, as a doctor, as a lawyer, as a car salesman, as a bookkeeper, as a mom, as a dad, as a son or a daughter? How can you use me to advance the kingdom? How can I go into what I'm about to do today, whether it's host a radio show or manage a construction site or, or lead an educational institution? How can I go into this and conduct my job in such a way that it advances kingdom values? How can I demonstrate peace and patience and love and gentleness and self-control? How can I, I, can, how can I do this with integrity and with honesty every day? How can I treat the people you put in my path in the course of my work every day uh, with dignity as those made in the image of God and with compassion and with mercy. How can I do what I do well to your glory? And if I've got one of those jobs where I don't interact with a lot of people, how can I make this widget that you've called me to make, how can I make it well so that when when Jim Shaw buys one next week, he's blessed by your widget that you've constructed in a quality way? How do we advance the kingdom? in our everyday lives. We, we, one of the things we have to do is we pray, God, show me how to do that. Show me that this is important. And show me how to do that well. One more thing we're praying when we pray thy kingdom come. We're praying for Jesus to come back. We're praying for Jesus to come back. We, we, are, we are longing for that day when Satan's kingdom is destroyed. When sickness and disease and death are done away with. When every knee bows to the king when justice is done when oppression is ended Uh, revelation 6 10 the martyrs are crying out how long sovereign and true until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood we join with them when we pray thy kingdom come and say how long O lord we long for that day of Revelation 11 when the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ and He will reign forever and ever. Are you excited about that day? Do you, do you long for that day? 
You know, 2 Peter 3, 12 has always been a, a fascinating verse to me because it says this, as you look forward to the, <coughs> excuse me, to the day of God and speed its coming. And speed, that the, the people of God through our actions, through our missionary activity, through our prayers, we play a role in hastening the return of Christ. We play a role in hastening the return of Christ. If, if I told you there was something you could do to hasten the coming of a cure for cancer, would you do that? Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely you would do that. Of course you would do that. Well then, pray. Spread the gospel. Pray, thy kingdom come. Not just as a line in the Lord's Prayer, but seriously pray. Pray, thy kingdom come. Because when you pray that, that prayer, you're hasting the return of Jesus and you're speeding a day when cancer and everything else will be cured and done away with. So pray for the return of the King. Well, why don't we pray this some more fewer, more fervently. Uh, one, I, I think many of us, not all of us, many of us are just kind of comfortable, right? We're, we're happy American middle class so why would I want to hasten Jesus' kingdom coming if mine's pretty cushy and I'm enjoying it uh, secondly I think we don't pray as much about the coming of God's kingdom as we should because we're, we're really even though we don't want to admit it we're more concerned with our own kingdom and we're caught up in establishing our own kingdoms David Brooks and this is kind of a let me, let me find it here this is from his book on Paradise Drive, and it's a little bit dated because he talks about magazines, if you can remember those. Um, but but kind of translate this into you know reading whatever magazine material online. He, he says there, that we have this urge to transform oneself from the humdrum drone you used to be into the perfect god of the rugged adrenaline. If you read the adventure magazines, or the goddess of popularity. You read Cosmo. We are so surrounded by the gospel of self-improvement that we might forget how overpowering it is. But all around us, from every magazine on the rack, there is the same cry, go ahead, get better, go ahead, get better, work harder, learn more, catch the trends, buy the latest gadgets, build the right environment, master the right activities. Inside you is the ideal you waiting to be born. Life can be perfect. What people are doing is they page through these magazines as this. They are enjoying the longing. They are constructing fantasies of what their lives might be like. And he goes on to say, For millions of people, the ridiculously perfect images... Um, the, the ridiculously perfect images, the worlds in which every house is immaculate... Every vacation destination is uncrowded and every thigh is firm are the images that arouse the imagination most powerfully. Why else would so many men spend billions of dollars a year looking at pictures of women who are nothing like real women, let alone the women they are likely to sleep with? 
Why else would so many people subscribe to Architectural Digest and pour over flawless interiors that no human beings could actually live in and that few could ever afford? Why is it that the magazines that sell best off the rack are the ones with bright photos of smiling celebrities on the cover, stunning movie stars, rock stars, royalty, and athletes who are far better looking than the people we know, far richer than anybody around us, and are depicted living in a social stratosphere far removed from the realm most of us inhabit? In short, why do we torture ourselves with things we don't have and aren't likely to get? Why do we eagerly seek out images of lives we are unlikely to lead? It is precisely because fantasy, imagination, and dreaming play a far more significant role in our psychological makeup than we are accustomed to acknowledge. We are influenced far more than most of us admit by some longing for completion some impulse to heaven. The magazine images are not really about hedonism, about enjoying some pleasure that fits into our life here and now. They're not even mainly about conspicuous consumption, finding the right item that will help us show off and look richer and more sophisticated than our friends and neighbors. These magazines are about aspiration. What they offer is the possibility of a magical conversion process. By mastering the skills described in the magazines, cultivating the taste, building the sorts of environment, wearing the right fashions, adopting this or that diet, I will be able to transform my present caterpillar self into the shimmering butterfly that is the future me. The magazines show us the avenue to this infinity, and they fill fill in in concrete detail the substance of our vague longings for contentment. Uh, We are fallen, discontent creatures. And we long for something better, as we should, but we long and we look for the something better in the wrong places. By assembling the perfect gear, by having the perfect house, by finally getting that perfect career, perfect relationship, we, we try to find that something better by building our own kingdoms. We try to find personal transformation without the gospel, without taking up the cross, without dying to our kingdom as we follow Jesus. Is it any wonder that we pray small, self-consumed prayers and never venture to pray big, kingdom-oriented prayers? Well, a third reason here, and I'm going a little long today. The third reason I think we don't pray this I think many of us are either fatalist, you know, God's going to do what God's going to do, so what difference does it matter if I really pray this anyway? Or we're deist, you know, God's not really involved in the everyday life of the world, so what's the use in praying? And so what that leaves us is kind of in this, honestly, kind of this practical atheism, where we just do our thing and and kind of hope it's going to work out, and we don't really bother to pray. And I think to become people who actually pray this way, we've got to become convinced that our prayers actually matter. That, that when I get up and spend 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever praying, that that actually matters in the grand scheme of things. Um, yes, God is a sovereign God. Yes, God does have a plan. Yes, God is working all things according to the counsel of His will. 
But in the midst of that great plan, he's also sovereignly determined to respond, designed to respond to the, to the prayers of his people. He responds to the prayers of his people. When God's people pray, history changes. And it's in the Bible. Exodus 32, God has had enough of the Israelites, as you can imagine. And he says to Moses, leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. And Moses prayed. And verse 14 tells us that the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. History is changed, as it were, by a sovereign Lord in response to the prayers of his people. Uh, Doug Kelly, who's got one of my favorite books on prayer, uh, If God Already Knows Why Pray, he tells the story of his oldest son who was born legally blind in one eye. And then in seventh grade, he got, his other eye got injured in a racquetball injury. And the sight in that eye was also threatened. And so people began to pray. They began to pray for him. And Dr. Kelly's wife took their son to a specialist then who gave him an eye exam. And his wife said, well, what were the results of the exam? And he said, there, he's fine. And she said, well, yesterday he could barely see out of that eye. How could that happen so fast? People were praying, but, and the specialist said, sometimes that's what does the trick. Sometimes that's what does the trick. And Dr. Kelly said, they've been praying for a miracle and they almost didn't recognize it when it happened. That God responded to the prayers of his people. Uh, He also tells the story of a group of ministers in Korea who were praying for somebody to, to come to their country and teach them to be better preachers. And at the same time that they started praying this prayer, there was, a, there was a guy, I think his name was Willie Black, was in Scotland. He was a small country preacher. And he began to be convinced that God was calling him to ministry in Korea. He didn't know where. And so he shows up in Korea. This guy shows up at his door. says, we've been praying for somebody like you to come. He's like, when did you start praying? And the time he started praying was exactly when this guy began to be convinced that he needed to go to Korea. Not connected at all. God is at work through the prayers of his people. He has a plan, but it includes our prayers. He uses our prayers to advance his plan. So if we want to see God's kingdom come, if we want to see people come to know Christ, if we want to see sin put to death, we we really have to pray. We have to pray with each other and for each other and and stop thinking we can bring about results in our own power and stop thinking our prayers don't matter because they do our lives and our prayers even as we said earlier play a role in bringing back the return of the king our prayers matter but often we don't believe it and so what does the bible say about that you have not because you ask not Charles Spurgeon said that asking is the rule of the kingdom. God will bless Elijah and send rain on Israel, but Elijah must pray for it. God will bless Paul and the nation shall be converted through him, but Paul must pray. We're no different. 
we must pray as God's people that God's kingdom would come. Now lastly, really quick, why should I pray for this? I think I've given you plenty of reasons to pray for this, but one last reason, because he's a good king. Because Jesus is a good king, and you ought to want other people to know this good king. And you ought to want history to be sped up, as it were, so you can hurry up and meet him. Because if you love him, then the day that you meet him will be the very best day of your life. So why not pray and hasten that day? Let me pray for us. Father, I, uh, this is like so many things, it's easier to talk about than it is to do. Uh, and so we would just confess that, that we do really get caught up in building our own kingdoms. Uh, we are prone to doubt that our prayers really matter. We are prone to, to doubt your goodness. Uh, and so I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would change us, that you would change us so that we are people who delight to see your kingdom come and your will be done because we know you're a good king and you have good things stored up for your people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.